selling a family home after a lifetime of memories, decades of accumulating belongings, and months of dealing with a family loss is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Some agents have the sympathy and experience with helping those left behind deal with the need to sell the family home, and others just don't. Today, with expert guidance, we talk about your family matters, knowing the steps when selling a deceased estate. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your host is Sue Langder. As 2022 is well and truly here, Real Copyright is making bold moves to ensure we can write property all across Melbourne to help bring the right buyers and tenants to your door. We have an expert team of writers highlighting the best attributes of your properties so they can sell fast and for the best price. If you're looking for that winning edge, give Lisa a call on 03 5977 The state trustees have a trusted relationship with Woodards as their acting representative to help those grieving through the sale of a family home. Today, we have Luke Piccolo from Woodards South Yarra to take us through the steps of selling a deceased estate. Welcome, Luke. How are you today? Good, Sue. Excited to be back. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for coming along. And yes, we're in 2022, which is exciting and hopefully going to be a better year. Yeah, yeah, let's hope so. I'm, I'm a relentless optimist, so let's. <laughs> so uh, am I. Yeah, has to be a better year. <laughs> has to be. Um, now, how long have Woodard's been working with state trustees? Yeah, so we've been um, working with state trustees for at least the last three decades. I'm not sure how far beyond that the relationship goes, but we've been uh, we've been helping out um, and selling uh, deceased estates for uh, and helping out the families for a long time. Yeah, so it's state trustees. Uh, generally the executives in most cases, but you also deal with the families directly, don't you? Yeah. So when state trustees are involved, we're dealing with them and they represent um, whoever the beneficiaries are, if there are beneficiaries yeah. um, to the estate. But we deal in far more transactions that involve an executor and the family themselves, so dealing yeah. directly. So we do a bit of both, um, yeah. but, yeah, far more with the families themselves and the executives. So state trustees would ne- normally come in when they can't find somebody who would normally. Be- yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, the, the um, it's, it actually gets quite complex, and there's um, you know there's whole sets of legislation related to this stuff. But um, my basic understanding is that essentially, when there's um, no beneficiaries name, no will, and it's not clear. Um, you know where the where the assets are being distributed. State trustees do get involved, um, and it, and it, they can also get involved um, or be appointed um, either by the court or the families themselves to assist. Okay, yeah. So, like, yeah. you know, if I had a house in I don't know Elwood somewhere, for instance, and uh, you know I died and I had no kids, um, but then there was an illegitimate one came along, which I hadn't told my kids about. Yeah. <laughs> Are you, uh, are you announcing that live, Sue, or is that? <laughs> well, I'm not. There's, there's no illegitimate kids. Um, We're I'm, talking hypotheticals here. I'm, hypothetically, I can, I can safely say I have had two kids and two pregnancies. So There you go. Safely, <laughs> safely hypothetical. <laughs> safely hypothetically. Um, but, yeah. yes, if an illegitimate 
child came along and sort of said, hey, wait a minute, that was my mum. I found records that she was my mum. How would that sort of, that would be something state trustees would determine? Like, um, Well, in, in that case, it actually may not be state trustees that deal with that. Um, the There would be a claim by that person on the estate itself and so um, that would actually be handled by the courts. Okay. Um, so um, the state trustees um, usually provide a slightly different role to um, to the courts. When there's a claim on the estate itself, yeah. it would be um, a court matter. Yeah. So, for instance, if that person did come along and the court it had to go to court, then the state trustees would hold any proceeds of the sale in a little little bank somewhere in trust. Yeah, in a little in a little kitty, or in it. It could be a simpler situation where you've got an executor who's acting for the family. Their responsibility is to pay off any and. Uh, get rid of any liabilities and then distribute any assets for the estate and uh, it needs to be with the beneficiaries in mind. So if you yeah. had someone that wasn't a beneficiary that came along and made a claim on the estate, then the estate lawyer would actually have to handle that claim in some way, whether it ended up in, in the court or not. It depends yeah. on the situation. But, yeah, it can get really complex. So, I mean, oh, one, of the first steps, one of the first steps when... Um, you do get involved in a situation like this, whether as a beneficiary or the executor um, or if you've got some relationship with state trustees in some way for some reason, is to make sure you've got the right representation. So you need to have a really good lawyer in these situations. Yeah. And when I say a really good lawyer, um, they obviously need the um, the legal skill set but also someone who has, you know, empathy and is representing your interests because yeah. um, it can it can be quite a tricky and they can be sticky situations. Yes. Yeah. Oh, look, I recall a particular family situation, which I went, uh, I didn't personally go through, but um, I remember there was step or step parents to this lady. So stepmom died about 13 years later, her father died. But when the stepmother died, it was agreed that when her father died, the money would go to her kids as well, the step kids mm-hmm. as well as this lady's kids but the stepkids lived in Canada okay they never kept in contact with yeah interesting their stepfather yeah. I think they had a six month time to claim after he died yeah I think they must you know your public notices in the state paper and yeah if they don't claim they get nothing yeah and that that actually brings up the essential um, problem that arises is um, there's a tension between intestacy laws, which are basically the standard set of laws that relate to how a, um, uh, the assets are distributed. Yeah. It's basically just a legal flowchart, which, you know, is the person married? Yes or no? Yeah. Uh, do they have children? Yes or no? And then it's sort of, you know, the flows yeah. of, uh, of money find their way down um, this, this flowchart. But the, um, if, if there's a will... Um, there's a way. Has no, specific- I had to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, sometimes if there's a will, there's not a way <laughs> because wills, you know, um, the laws related to wills are also complex. So you can have a will that says one thing, yeah. but the intestacy laws say another. Then there's a claim on the estate. And so these are all questions that get dealt with um, together as a whole. And really, um, I mean, that's why you can end up in sticky situations because um, you need someone who's going to decide on these matters and it usually ends up being the courts. And yeah. um, and whenever, whenever you get to that point, there's... Lots of people involved, there's lawyers, there's courts involved and, um, and it, it does end up being a dispute which can be tri- tricky to navigate. 
Um, yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're very lucky at Woodards. A lot of the families that we deal with and in the areas we deal with, we're very lucky in that they do have a common goal of working together for the greatest good for everyone. Yeah. And that's, it's really nice to be able to represent people in those situations. Yeah. But we also end up in the, uh, at the opposite end of the spectrum where we have um, people who there may be disputes, there may be claims, there may be all sorts of stuff going on, and we have processes in place to be able to deal with these situations so that we can best get the best result for the, um, for the property and whoever the beneficiaries are, and then the executor, the courts, and whoever decides on where that money's going, uh, they, can, they can do that after we've got the best result. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the whole idea. Yeah. Yeah, getting those lovely little emails from from Nigeria saying that you've you know you've got some deceased uncle who left you four hundred million dollars, but yeah, that's probably that'd be nice. I think <laughs> I think I think one of the things my old man taught me comes to mind, which is you know when it's too good to be true, it usually is. Yeah. Um, and so um, you know, there's some pretty sophisticated scams out there in relation to this stuff as well. But oh, yeah. I think one of the best things you can do to protect yourself is just have the right advisors. So for yeah. some people, it's a really good lawyer. For some people, it's a really good accountant or a family member. So for some people, it's a real estate agent that can help point them in the right direction of these people that they need. And if you're not sure, you just need to have someone that you can ask the right questions. Yeah. I actually recently got a phone call from Germany um, because uh, somebody with my surname had died and the guy was just trying to chase they knew some family members came to australia so they wanted to chase and even though he had the german accent he left i, I you know, getting an overseas uh, phone call you're just like oh who's this i have no idea so I, he left a voicemail which was nice and he left his email address and i'm like oh that's actually like a legit place so i called him back up and he and i said look this is my history this person, which was my ex-husband's sister, I said she's probably mm. the best person to speak to about it if there is a real, any tie because she was, she'd be the one who knew. But, yeah, um, yeah, it would have been. I said, look, my, my boys might be inheritance, but that's about it. I probably wouldn't take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, who knows? I don't know if anything happened out of it, but I'm sure my kids will find out over Christmas if they're done. <laughs> it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, how often are you dealing with homes that need to be sold with more, um, with the proceeds go to charity or maybe the worst, the tax department or even other debt? Yeah, so charity, the tax department are more debt. I mean, unfortunately, proceeds going to charity, there's probably not enough of that. Yeah. Um, and even more unfortunately, the tax department probably gets too much. Yeah. <laughs> And then in terms of more debt than inheritance, we don't actually get um, visibility usually or okay. any, any comment on, um, on, the, on the liabilities and the assets. We're only dealing with one particular asset and yeah. so we're focused on the best result for that. We do have clients where we have multiple properties that we're selling for them or a whole portfolio and in that instance, um, you know, you'd hope that there's more assets than liabilities and, yeah. uh, and no debt to pay off. But, um, yeah, at the end of the day, I think, our role is to support the executor and the family as best we can, yeah. be as empathetic as we can, but also have the processes in place to get the best result for whatever the assets are. And then sort of after we're involved, that's where um, those things come into play. I have had some really nice stories um, yeah. 
throughout the last decade of, um, you know, for example, um, a property we sold um, in Fitzroy, which um, we acted for state trustees in that instance um, who were uh, supporting um, as the executor and the proceeds of that were all going to Melbourne University because the um, because the uh, the deceased uh, in their will had um, left everything to the university because they were just such a big fan of the institution and had spent so much time there. I mean, that, that, that's that's a nice story, and I'm sure there's yeah. plenty of stories like that um, yeah. out there. Whether it's um, you know we've had others um, giving to you know hospitals, the Royal Children's, or um, or what have you, but they're, they're, they're nice stories. Unfortunately, they're probably rarer than the tax department getting their clip because I think that happens regardless. It does. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Now that we've had a bit of background, um, after the break, we will come back with more from Luke Piccolo from Woodards in South Yarra to tell us some of the steps needed to go through when selling a deceased estate. Now, you're listening to Real Estate Right, and we are here today talking about the difficult times when it comes to selling a deceased estate with Luke Piccolo from Woodards in South Yarra. So, Luke, talk us through some of the steps when selling a deceased estate. Okay, so I think I alluded to it before, but the first step I think is uh, is a team huddle. So, working out who the team is and who's who's who in the zoo. So, yeah. for for most for most families, that is who is the executor. That's that's yeah. a big question. So, the executor has the responsibility to. Um, manage the estate on behalf of the beneficiaries and to also distribute any assets after uh, disposing of any liabilities. Yeah. And so that's a really big role and that will, um, uh, I think people underestimate just how much is involved in that. Yeah. And so if, if you are um, nominated, asked to be an executor, you need to think carefully about um, and research whether you have the, first of all, the capacity and the time to be able to manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, but just go into it with your eyes wide open because if you, it's very. It gets very tricky if you start as an executor during the process and then want to stop being the executor for any reason. Mm. So you want to, want to. You don't want to get into it and then and then want to get out of it. <laughs> so, I've heard that some wills su- or you know suggest that the executive gets like remunerated for their time a little bit, so that comes off the the top before it gets divided equally. Or whatever the the will suggests. Yeah, that can be. Yeah, that can be a common um, inclusion, common condition in the will. Let's call yeah. it. Um, yeah. And um, and there is. Uh, I mean, being being compensated fairly for your time is fair, but yeah. um, at the end of the day, it's a it's a big job, so it's something not to be taken lightly. Um, mm. So the. Um, once, once you know who the executor is, there's a lot of responsibility on that person's shoulders. But I think having the estate lawyer. Um, to be able to guide the executor as well as anyone else that's involved, including beneficiaries, through the process is really important. So um, having um, the right legal advice and the right advice from uh, an accountant in relation to the tax implications and the um, and the financials is also really important. So that's probably step two. So um, what, what you want to do in step one is you need to know who the executor is and you want to get a grant of probate, really. Yeah. Um, there are there are two ways that um, there are two ways that the process can can go. One is the a grant of probate. The other is the letters of administration. Yeah. Um, which they're slightly different, and you're best to speak to your lawyer about 
which option's best. But yeah. uh, the grant of probate is probably the cleanest, and that can be about a four-week process roughly, but it does depend. Um, and it is far easier if you've got an experienced um, lawyer helping you through that process. They can make sure that all your ducks in a row for that and that probate's granted. And once that happens, then you can take the next step. Yeah. Which is? So step one. <laughs> Sorry? Which is? So you Which got- is, yeah. So step one. <laughs> Executor, grant of probate. Step two, the legal and tax advice. Get your ducks in a row from that perspective. Yeah. And then the third step, I would get a um, valuation on the property. You can get um, appraisals um, from real estate agents in relation to price, but you also might take the next step depending on the property and actually have a, uh, a certified practising valuer conduct a f- more formal valuation. Yeah. Um, they are more expensive um, because the real estate agents' appraisals are, are free, of course, but the certified practicing um, valuer will be able to to give you a um, to give you a figure, and that might be worthwhile in a situation where the price is unknown. So, mm. if it's a um, for example a I don't know a one bedroom apartment in the inner city here around where I am in South Yarra, mm. they can be um, easier to value, and the family might be comfortable with where the value may sit based on other sales, um, mm. and they may just have appraisals conducted by a real estate agent um, or two or three real estate agents. Uh, and be comfortable with that. But for a larger family home or, um, or, or a type of property where the, where the value is, is harder to pin down or there might be more variance in the price, mm-hmm. it could be worth getting a valuation conducted so that um, you protect your position as the executor by doing that. And yes. also it's just a more transparent and objective figure because the certified practising valuer is bound um, more than the real estate agent is in terms of what evidence they can use yeah. and the process to actually And that's that. good if somebody wants to still buy out other people's shares and stuff like that, isn't it? Exactly right. And it gives you flexibility. That's a really good point because if um, no matter what happens, you've got, you've got a valuation at that point in time. And if there is a dispute, you can get a second valuation yeah. um, in relation to the price. But I think the trick with all this stuff, and it's not just estates. I mean, it's one of the tricks of life is um, is transparency. Mm. You know, being um, being able to act um, in a transparent way, so that um, and you know, another one of the points is to make sure that you've keeping records on all this stuff as well as the executor, because it's not just about protecting your position, but you want to protect the whole family yeah. um, and the beneficiaries. So, um, the property valuation is a good one. So that's step three. Yeah, um, and then. Once that's done, then you can start looking at appointing a real estate agent. So that um, that's a good thing to to do early on, yeah. Um, because they can actually guide you through the process in terms of preparing the property for sale, which can take some time. Yeah. Uh, given given that um, often in these situations, people have been collecting things and house has been well loved for many years. Lots of stuff around. That's for sure. Yeah, lots of stuff <laughs> usually, and. Um, and also there might be some big questions about what works will be worthwhile in relation to the sale. So yeah. it's quite common for real estate agents to walk in and say, oh, you don't need to do much and let's just get it on the market and, yeah. you know, Because it's, it it's, it's past its use-by date and ready to be demolished or, you know, somebody might want to renovate it, you know, or you might want to go the other way and it's actually quite presentable but we'd be better off doing a bit of a new new carpet, new paint, bit of an update that's exactly right and every every situation is different and i'm a firm believer that you need to you need to tailor the um 
you need to tailor the advice to every specific client. And just because it's a deceased estate doesn't mean you should just, um, you know, roll the arm over and go through the process um, and not do anything in terms yeah. of works. Like I actually think um, if you if you look at um, if you look at some of the most basic things that you can do to present the property well, like for example, um, paint, carpet, styling, maintenance. We do these things as part of every other sale. Why yeah. wouldn't we do it for this sale? And See, so, a lot of people have this perception that deceased estates will be cheaper to buy, mm. don't they? It's there's that perception still there, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. People, people, um, uh, you know, the the two biggest motivators are for people of fear and greed. Yeah, and um, and unfortunately, the deceased estate, um, it. It, it looks like there's going to be a great opportunity there and, and people want to make the most of it for their own benefit, which is, um, which is fair enough. The truth, the truth is that there aren't many uh, good deals out there and deceased estate or not, um, you know, some of our greatest results are for estate sales because people do feel like they're going to get a great deal and so there's lots of people interested and then, yeah. <laughs> and then, they, yeah. and then they end up competing and paying, you know, market value or above. So. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing, like I've got some agents who are dead set, do not mention deceased estate in the in the copy whatsoever. Um, and other agents are like, no, you need to mention it. Um, it's just, I don't know, maybe they think that uh, it's helpful and others think, no, well, we're not doing yeah, the I, job as disservice. I, mean, I think as always the truth somewhere in the middle. Um, yeah. I I don't think it's, um, it doesn't feel right to me to um to plaster deceased estate over everything. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, if a buyer walks through and open for inspection and asks me why the vendor is selling, um, I cannot disclose, but I can't lie to the yeah to the buyer. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to mislead people. And most people find out along the way, regardless. Yeah. Um, for example, if as I'd recommend for an estate you're selling by auction, people will ask about offers prior to auction, whether they can make an offer before yeah. the auction date. And in an estate situation, you're not going to take offers prior because the whole idea is that it's a transparent negotiation process for the estate. And yeah. so they're going to find out eventually anyway. So is it that bad advertising it? Well, I don't think so. I just think you've got to find a balance there. Yeah. Do people still get um, weird about buying houses where, for instance, somebody knowing that it's a deceased state that they may have died in the house? Yeah, it does. Um, it does come up from time to time. Probably, um, if I had, uh, you know, as we as we hope to um, for for a good auction campaign, we hope to have between fifty and seventy buyers roughly through the through the campaign. Yeah. Um, if it does have that vibe about it, um, the house itself, I mean, yeah. and you know, the works haven't been done, and it seems to be um, of that ilk. There's probably one or two out of those out of those 50 to 70 that will either mention it or say it's not for them because they, um, they don't want to live in a place where someone has passed away. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I understand that, um, there is, there is an argument that it'd be difficult to find a, um, a period home in South Yarra where I am, where that that hasn't, that someone hasn't passed away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, I must admit like the number of houses I've been through, I reckon there's pretty a handful of houses that I've walked through and you just have this feeling of, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. Like it, you just have this, I don't know, sixth sense. Yeah. Not really happy that you're here. Yeah. Well, the, the, building I'm, the building I'm sitting in at the moment, um, 
was built in 1878 and our, our business, which was originally Williams and Company, has been here for 143 years. And I would, um, I would suggest that even where I'm sitting here in this old period building, that throughout those 143 years, there might have been someone that unfortunately passed away within these walls. But now you've got me thinking about it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now- yeah, there's always maybe it's better to be blissfully ignorant. <laughs> blissfully ignorant, that's for sure. Oh, look, we like when we were kids, we had this house my dad built, um, and when we bought the block of land, it was just purely a vacant block of land, but it had a rose garden on it, garden on it, and so dad built this brand new house, and we'd be upstairs in our rooms, like my sisters and I, and no one would be downstairs, but we could hear somebody chopping carrots on in the kitchen, and we're like. There is nobody there. Like, what is it? So we all, but we all heard it individually at different times, only if we were home by ourselves. So it was really weird. So the the spirit was still in on the land as such. Maybe. Who knows? Aboriginal, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I I prefer blissfully ignorant. Blissfully ignorant. I shouldn't have asked questions I didn't want the answer to. Now I'm thinking about all the spirits that are going to be followed <laughs> today at the office. <laughs> the other thing that's worth mentioning, um, Sue, is yeah. that there was um, some new recent legislation, which like some material facts guidelines yeah. um, in the Sale of Land Act. So there was an amendment where, um, you know, agents can't knowingly conceal or mislead buyers and they actually need to... Um, need to alert people to any material fact and material facts um, include whether someone has passed away in the property. So there's actually a legal requirement that that's disclosed if it's known to the owner or the agent. So, um, And do we have to disclose things like how they died? Like, you know, some things are a bit scary, not scary, but just unfortunate like suicide or murder or house fire or, you know, all that. Yeah, there's... There's, there's no specific requirement for, um, uh, for disclosing how somebody died, but there is if the material fact, for example, they use the example of a, um, of a gruesome murder, like, for instance, in, yeah. um, in shit, we're getting into some interesting territory. So, um, <laughs> the, uh, for example, in Collingwood, the Easy Street murders yes. was an yep. example, and it, that would be a material fact. Yes, that's a so, well-documented one, though, that one. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah that's an extreme example, but yeah. um, the, um, that would be a material fact. But the, the way any person dies wouldn't be, wouldn't be relevant necessarily, and plus the agent probably doesn't know. Yeah, and also it's a timeline, isn't it, like with the legislation that, you know, if they've died within the last three, five, ten years or, you know, it's something that happened you know, 100 years ago, it doesn't really matter. But if it's, but as you said, it's knowing. Yeah, and that... That, that goes to the question of what a material fact is, and there's some guidance on it, but there is a grey area where, you know, if someone passed away 60 years ago, um, is, that, is that relevant? Is it material? And would it be material to the public more generally or just one specific buyer? Yeah. It gets, you know, it, it's an interesting question, yeah. but I think as an agent, as I said, one of the most important things in life, not just in real estate, is transparency. Mm. And if, if, if I know something about, the property that I think is relevant to the buyer, well, I want them going in with their eyes open anyway because the only way that you can get the best result for properties is if they are is if the buyers are completely engaged. Yeah. And I think that actually is formed by two things. One, they love the property itself. 
but I actually think that the trust that they have in the agent and in the process can also make a big difference. So um, I had a situation um, recently which um, it wasn't a deceased estate, but it was a property that was inherited by a client, um, by their auntie. So their auntie passed away, left the property to the niece and she was now selling it years later. So there's nothing, there's nothing really to do with the estate. Yeah. It's, in, it's, it's in her name. Um, but there was actually um, a change of name on the title that needed to happen. So it was in the vendor's name because it was still in the auntie's name from years ago. Yeah. Um, and the buyer was unsure about, um, you know, we were waiting on documentation. Mm-hmm. We were, um, the process was taking a couple of weeks and the buyer started to get a little bit unsure. But when they purchased the property, um, which took weeks and, you know, we were in the boardroom for hours yesterday negotiating, about two and a half hours of, um, of hard negotiating. And, um, and the buyer said to me afterwards, they said, if it wasn't for, if I didn't trust you, I wouldn't have trusted the process and I wouldn't have bought the place. Yeah, which is nice. Um, because, yeah, yeah they, knew, they knew that we were being honest about what was happening and some agents would prefer to, you know, keep everything to themselves. Yeah. But I actually, I actually think if you can open up a little bit in the right way, yeah. um, it, can, it can benefit both the owner. And in that case, that's, that's a real win-win. Yeah. The, 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 the buyer paid what we think is a, a great price and, um, and, and our client got a real win. But at the same time, um, you know, the buyer managed to secure a great property. Yeah. So. Now, talking about, you know, Mr Taxman like we did before, what timeline do we need to keep in mind to avoid any tax issues when selling a deceased estate? Yeah, there's a few, there's a couple of rules of thumb. And, you know, to be honest, I'm getting in the, into the territory of, uh, you know, the accountants and even lawyers. Um, so it's worth um, getting the right advice um, because I don't have the, um, I believe the knowledge it's or experience. To, it's... Yeah, so there, there's a couple of, Things. There's the there's a two year there's a phrase the the executor's year yeah so uh, executor's year is a just a rough rule of thumb that you know you should be trying to dispose of assets and uh, and liabilities within twelve months yeah. um, there's also the three year rule which relates to um, you know how properties and assets are taxed yeah uh, and in what tax bracket you fall within so uh, the three year rule my basic understanding of it is that you taxed it the same level as when the deceased passed yeah. uh, until until that three-year mark, in which case the, the situation may change. Yeah. But there's a whole bunch of, uh, you know, extensions and different uh, moving parts okay. there. So it's worth making sure that, you know, as part of that step two when you're getting the legal advice, also get the tax advice because there will be some key dates you need to work towards. Yeah. Um, and often it's... Um, sooner than you think, like 12 months sounds like a long time, but we often end up in situations where we're pushing really hard. One of the reasons why state trustees um, have given us, um, you know, why we've had such a great relationship with them is that we can, we have the processes in place to have a property advertised for within eight days of when we're appointed. So um, sometimes they've had delays and they need us to move quickly and so we're able to do yeah. that for them. That's just one of many reasons why they use us. But um, the other one being that we've managed to achieve in the last three years 9% over their reserve price oh. um, and that's across you know, hundreds of transactions. Yeah. So that's, that's been um, really rewarding for us and for, for them and the beneficiaries that they represent. Yeah. Now on a, um, 
I guess, privileged note or maybe a ego note. How often would you sell an entire investment portfolio after someone has passed? <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not really my my style. My style. So usually, um, to uh, brag to to big note the huge sales that we're uh, that we're involved in. Yeah. Although, it, I mean, it is um, a good feeling when uh, when you are appointed to represent people with such a large portfolio, whether it's um, all at once or in most cases we we're actually appointed over a longer period of time to um, to sell down many assets over a number of years. Yeah. Um, we're in a situation like that at the moment where we have um, a landmark property um, coming up in Camberwell at 570 Riversdale Road, which um, is, uh, is is a similar situation where it's not um, it's not an estate that's been being sold as we've been speaking about through state no. trustees or anything, but it's part of a part of a family portfolio of properties with a particularly high value where, you know, that's going to be, it's 2,025 square metres with um, a block of apartments and a great land holding right near Campbell Junction. And we expect that to be somewhere in the vicinity of you know, 10 million or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. So that's an exciting one. And there's actually more happening. There's a big generational shift happening at the moment um, in Australia more generally, but we're seeing it on the ground in property where there's a lot of, significant old buildings that require a lot of work and the um, new minimum standards legislation and other things that are coming in from a property management perspective mean that it's more attractive to owners to sell given the market conditions rather than continue to work on the properties and rent them out. Yeah, Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I just acted acted for a client purchasing a a block of units in, uh, in Millswind Street, for example, which is in the domain precinct the botanical gardens precinct and that's um and that was a, a really significant one and there's others coming up with we've, we've got a great block in uh, in mathura road turat coming up early next year so mm-hmm. there's yeah plenty happening in that space but i actually um i get more excited by the people than i do the property yeah i look yeah same here yeah but the, I, like, I, I get excited about the, the property history and if those walls could talk yeah <laughs> Oh, well, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's the exciting stuff, right? Yeah. That's why we're all here. Yeah. I mean, um, the buildings are just places that we fill. They're yeah. just, you know, they're, they're, they're really vessels. Yeah. And, they're, I mean, they're beautiful and they're valuable. But at the end of the day, um, I think life's about um, the people you meet along the way and the things that happen in between. Yeah. And, yeah. in fact, the, the family that we're representing um, uh, for the sale in Camberwell is one that we've represented. Uh, I'm trying to think whether it's over whether it's almost 100 years. Or it's getting close, I believe. That, I believe it. Yeah. Well, that particular property, it's been since it was inception in 1939. Um, but if the it was before that, it probably, it probably close to it because the father built properties in the Gulf Legs estate, um, which was 1925 onwards, I think. So, yeah. So it's almost... Yeah, it's pretty... It, it's pretty. It's pretty exciting. I mean, I'm not sure whether we can make the announcement, Sue. We've got the. Uh, we've got the well, this editorial is going to be ready. January, so we've got the editorial happening. But yeah. Yeah, we might have to leave that for our next. Um... Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's all good now. Um, thank you so much, Luke, for giving our listeners a little bit more insight into the process of dealing with the property of a loved one. Now, if listeners want to get in contact with you to sell or buy property, can how can they reach you? 
So I, I, I deal in uh, in a pretty open open way. I get the mobile phone out and about. Yeah. So zero four one two nine five one two seven three, or they can email me at lukepicklewoodarts.com.au. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on again. It's always great to have you on our podcast. Now, next week we have Lisa Carlisle from Sold Styling to talk to us about how we can make your styling unique to your property. We see similar colour schemes and furniture uses in many homes for sale, but sometimes you have a unique home and you want some unique styling to bring out its soul. So if you want to know more, download next week's episode. Real Estate Right is produced by Real Copyright, one of Melbourne's leading real estate copywriting companies. And it's written, hosted and produced by me, Sue Langada, with the support of my production and social media assistant, Lisa Fisher. All information given on this podcast is a guide only and delivered to help you understand the intricacies that can happen in real estate. We recommend that you get professional advice that is designed for your own personal circumstances. We would like to thank Podbean for hosting this podcast, Premium Beat for their music, Francis Morello for his voiceover, and Zoom for the recording. If you have a real estate story that is inspiring or a great how-to tip, please contact Lisa on 5977-889 to find out how you can be a guest on Real Estate Right in 2022. If you would like to know more about our copywriting services, please email Lisa at orders at realcopyright.com.au. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Right. It's where buyers, sellers, renters and investors get their real estate right.